I will never go back to making games. Games were good to me, and I had a lot of good times making them, mm. and I am grateful for the time I got to do it, and I'm grateful mm. I got to make the things I had to make. But I have... When I quit making games, I thought maybe I would think about going back, but there hasn't been a nanosecond where I wanted mm. to go back. Not one. Mm. This is the Crit RPG Podcast. Your one-stop shop for everything Lit RPG, Progression Fantasy, and Royal Road. Hi everyone. As you can see, this is not my usual studio. This is my parents' house because I'm already over here for Christmas break. I've got a few things I want to mention instead of the usual app this week. So first of all, thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for being here because, yeah, the growth I've had this year was explosive to say the least and i'm really enjoying these interviews and these podcasts and your support really helps me just to keep doing those it's it's a great hobby to have and i am thrilled to see that so many people are enjoying you know these interviews or i should rather say chats um the second thing to note is i will be gone for the entirety of january because i'll be somewhere with no internet and i won't be able to upload any videos Sorry. That being said, I've already have a host of great guests lined up starting February. So I hope you're looking forward to that. Last things last, I want to take this time to really appreciate Brooke from Portal Books, who's been a tremendously nice dude. We've met on the podcast and he's just been super nice. And yeah, I feel as though I wouldn't be here without him. And I kind of want to give back a little bit. So I got two recommendations for you and I'm not getting paid to do this. This is not me shilling out or whatever, I really enjoy these two series. So the first one is uh, Azerinth Healer. Well, you probably know that one. So if you haven't read Azerinth Healer yet, it's a really fun story about what makes it RPG great. Punch people, get more stuff, numbers go up, and exploring a new world. I once described it as playing Diablo, but it's a book. So I think it's pretty accurate. The other one I want to recommend is Dungeon in the Clouds. Um, I do like myself some Dungeon Core, and this one's pretty good. Um, it's non-standard, and not just because, well, it's in the clouds this time. Um, and the second book has just come out and has gotten raving reviews on Amazon. So, yeah, I'm going to put links to both down below. With that, I'm going to let you get back to the Travis Baldry podcast, which I hope you're enjoying as much as I enjoyed talking to him. He's a great dude. And I only wish I didn't have COVID at the time because uh, my brain shut off at like three hours. We could have gone for so much longer. Anyhow, thank you again so much for being here. And I hope you're going to enjoy the rest of the podcast. Hi, and welcome everyone to the Crit RPG podcast, the only podcast where a guy in Germany goes around collecting everyone named Travis. With me today is Travis Baldry. Um, he is a, let me just check this. Um, video game designer, video game artist, video game programmer, head of a video gaming company, uh, an audiobook narrator, and you're also a novelist. And you save cats from trees? That I definitely don't do. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry. Cats can save themselves. How are you doing? Doing all right. How are you? Pretty good. I'm actually super looking forward to this interview as I'm pretty sure 
everyone else is when they clicked on this link. So uh, I'll try to not talk as much, which will come in handy because I just had COVID and I will be coughing periodically. So it's all on you. Good Perfect. luck, Travis. We'll lower the expectations right off the bat. <laughs> you, keep, you keep saying that, like, but I just, I just don't, I just don't think it works. It's so much easier to succeed if nobody expects anything. That's very true. And, oh, man, I want to talk about that too, you know, expectation settings for yourself and also a bit of your mentality and how you go into all this stuff. But we'll do that later. I've learned my lesson. I hope, please, please let me learn for once. Um, so tell me about your books first, actually. How did those books come to be? Um, so I, uh, Legends and Lattes is the first novel I ever finished. Mm -hmm. I finished it, uh, during National Novel Writing Month in 2021. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mostly wrote it. I'd always wanted to write a novel ever since I was a kid. Um, and I never succeeded at it. I tried over and over. I participated in quite a few National Novel Writing Months that I never succeeded in finishing. Um, but a narrator friend of mine, uh, convinced me to try again mm -hmm. and I chose something ostensibly stupid so that it wouldn't be crushing if I didn't finish again. So mm -hmm. I, I, uh, chose to write a book about an orc opening a coffee shop. Um, at the time it's still kind of the middle of COVID and, mm -hmm. uh, there's not a lot of public interaction. And also I, I, obviously I narrate lots of lit RPG and game lit and high intensity, high stakes stuff. Mm. But there really wasn't one I wanted to read at the time. And my diet mm. was pretty dominated with that. You know, um, I remember the, the, the new game of Thrones came out and I was like, I don't, I don't have any interest in watching this. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't need to see people murder each other. I don't need to see any betrayals of characters that I have known to love. I'm good for now. I just, I was watching like the great British Bake Off and stuff like that. That made me yeah. feel good. Yeah. Um, so I was joking in my discord about what I wanted to read. And I said, I want to read a Hallmark movie set in the forgotten realms. And that's basically more or less kind of what I wrote sort mm -hmm. of, um, anyway, it was the first novel I finished and I, uh, really didn't have any expectations for it, but I wanted to release it because I work with authors all the time and mm -hmm. I'm curious and I like to know how things work and mm -hmm. I'm technically minded. So I went through the process and I already had kind of legs up technically in a few ways because I, um, I've commissioned plenty of art due to my background. So getting mm -hmm. a, getting a cover put together was not daunting for me in any way. Mm -hmm. Which is the um, most important thing in a book. It is one of the most important things because especially as an indie, because it is part of if your you marketing. Wanna, for selling it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. If you want people to be interested in the book, um, it's definitely, definitely useful. Mm -hmm. Um, and as a narrator, I care a lot about editing. <laughs> as someone who gets manuscripts that sometimes are not edited. So um, I was editorially rigorous and I, uh, I have a friend that I narrate for who has an editorial background. So we did a barter. So she edited for me while, I, and I narrated a book for her. Ooh, cool. And uh, I just went ahead and, and, and went through the entire process of doing self pub. And mm -hmm. then it became much more successful than it had any right to largely, I think because of timing and because I think the, I think the pitch was good. I think if you mm -hmm. look at the book and you read the blurb, you know exactly what you're going to get. And if you want mm -hmm. that, that's more or less what you get. And I think mm -hmm. that just happened to work out. That was fortuitously worked out. Mm -hmm. And then it's, you know, continued to be unexpected from there on out. 
I mean, some people um, actually, like, no one says that. <laughs> but I think, like, if you're if you're someone who doesn't know you um, and who just knows you from all the audiobook narrations, and then goes like, "Oh yeah, of course you also wrote a book, right?" He can sell that with his own name, um, and I think that might have helped for sure with the exposure. But uh, good names don't necessarily sell products. Yeah, quite I, the opposite. I think I'm sure. I think that the benefits I got were less to do with like a fan base or recognizability, mm -hmm. because I think largely most of the people who picked up the book were not people who had any idea that I narrated. Because I think that there, while there is some audience crossover, most of the people mm -hmm. who picked up the book, if you, want, if you want to go for the vast majority, are not people who would have ever heard me before. Mm -hmm. I think there is some benefit to me having like a certain, uh, I have accrued a certain number of Twitter followers so that when mm -hmm. I did some initial post with like cover art, there was a chance that they would come across the, uh, the feeds of people who were influencers. Uh, mm -hmm. Shannon McGuire retweeted the cover art, but Shannon doesn't know me, certainly didn't know mm -hmm. I was a narrator. It mm -hmm. just happened to come across her feed. So it wasn't like a relationship I had with Shannon that made that happen. Mm -hmm. It was more fortuitous. Um, also, I think what you said earlier, I think that, um, I think that names just don't matter that much. You can mm -hmm. go to the most popular narrator in the world and mm -hmm. look at their recent releases and you will see audiobooks that have no ratings. Mm -hmm. Nobody picked those books up. They didn't just say, mm -hmm. oh, so-and-so narrated it. I'm going to obviously listen to that. Same thing for me. Um, if that was the case, you know, people would double down even more on audiobook narrators than they do now. I just... Mm -hmm. I think that that can get you an initial chunk of interest, but it doesn't sustain. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's unimportant, but um, I think I think it's only part of the equation. So this is funny because um, this is really not me fanboying or whatever. It's really appreciation for your craft because just this morning someone said, hey, I need a new good audiobook. And I said, just go to Audible, look for Travis Baldry and pick up whatever. Um, because I do think that, um, I spoke with Heath about this too, um, audiobook narrators, especially in the RPG space, um, they have a transformative quality, right? So it's always a little bit better. And mm -hmm. also mentioned other audiobook narrators in that post. Um, however, I do still agree with you. There is a certain point where names don't names don't sell alone they um, do and i mean i have numerical data to back this up because i have sales figures for these mm -hmm. books and mm -hmm. audio is far and away the least selling format by like you, a lot did you read it yourself yeah yeah oh. i narrated it myself so mm -hmm. if if it's if it's um if it's success mm -hmm. was due to my recognition as an audiobook narrator, I would have expected audiobook versions of the book to be mm -hmm. much more uh, represented than they are. And they're just not. Let's mm -hmm. see. Do I have the numbers here? Let's see. I would actually love those, yeah. Um, I'm just going to go off of paperback and ebook vastly outstripped it, like mm -hmm. by a lot. It's not mm -hmm. even close. Um, let's see. Yeah, so paperback and ebook for the second book in the first month were like um nearly 60,000 units audio mm -hmm. was 14,000 it's not even close i stand corrected um and um 
I think that might even be more pronounced with the first book. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that I don't have some recognition that somehow contributes to some initial mm -hmm. like exposure, but mm -hmm. it's definitely not like a sustaining element. You can also look at the ratings for them and, and, on, and rankings on yeah. like Audible and Amazon, and you'll see that they're vastly disparate in terms mm -hmm. of quantity. This reminds me of something that actually one of my very first guests um, told me, and that was um, Void Herald, fifth episode. And he said, actually, what he's doing in that, like he's writing various series is um, not, for, not good for him financially because he's known for writing series and then ending them and being good with them. And that's, that's mm -hmm. it. Um, which is good for people who, you know, trust them to pick up a new series. But I, but he says that if he were to write one series continuously, like let's, let's say continue perfect run, for example, um, it would have been way better, um, economically because people don't follow the author. They follow the story. I think cool. that's true. I think that's true. And I think, you know, when you're talking about audiobooks and like mm -hmm. narrators, if you're just, even if you're just thinking about audiobooks, mm -hmm. I think mostly the value in an audiobook narrator is knowing that they're not going to screw it up. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, I trust this audiobook narrator. You're still mm -hmm. only going to get the book if you're interested in the book, usually mm -hmm. for most people. Some people just are, are like long haul truckers and just need noise and just want somebody reliable to say words at them. That definitely mm -hmm. exists. But if you're going and hunting and you're caring about your credit, you're just like, I'm interested in this book. And I know this audiobook narrator is probably not going to let me down. So actually, that brings me to the next question. I mean, obviously, you did a lot of things in your life, right? You were, as I mentioned before, you uh, made, uh, made games. Um, I was probably best known for the Torchlight series, Torchlight 1 and 2, because I ran Runic Games. Um, and before that, uh, I was probably best known for Fate, which mm. a lot of people played on their parents' laptops, which makes me feel really old. Um, I made plenty of smaller games before that. Um, and I worked on games that were only released in beta, like Mythos, when I worked for Flagship Studios, mm. um, which was in uh, a public beta. And then after the company shuttered, uh, there's a long mm. history behind that, too. Anyway, mm. I, I mean, I worked for decades on games, mm. several decades. So mm. I made a lot of games. <laughs> That's also an important point about games is that mm. games are really, really ephemeral as, as artifacts, as creative mm. artifacts. They're one of the most ephemeral creative artifacts. It's some of the most expensive and least long lasting and the most brutal to create a movie. You can watch an old movie mm. music. Games? You can listen to old music. Mm. Sometimes music, sometimes an old movie doesn't work out, but there's lots of old movies that are still just fine because they don't rely on special effects. They just rely on people acting and people mm. haven't changed. Mm. Um, you can listen to old music. You can read a book from decades ago and it's still the relevant book because it's about people and mm. uh, it's not dependent on technology, but a game from a few decades ago, largely most of them will never be played. Most will be forgotten. A lot of them can't be even mm. experienced at all. Mm. Um, and uh, it's really, I think, a very unique component of game development. Uh, that's true. And slightly depressing. Think of all the MMOs that have gone offline. Man. That are unexperienceable. All that work, all that community, all that time is just gone. And it will never be recovered. And it can never be re-experienced in any way. Nothing else works like that. Not a month passes that I don't go like, man, I kind of wish I could try Wildstar again. 
or yeah, you know it's just battle battleborn which was one of my favorite games ever uh yeah yeah completely right no what i was shocked about was that i actually had read about all of your uh, your background but because of covid i wasn't able to prepare as much as i usually do which is not much but um thank you um but actually this is very interesting to me because I know the industry. I know what that's like. I have many friends who are game developers who do this from, you know, very, very bottom of their hearts because they love it. Um, do you want to kind of walk through your career a little bit? Because, I mean, I think you have to love it in order to do it. I don't think there's mm -hmm. a lot of people who just go into game development because it's just like, oh, that seems like an okay job. They do it because they love it. Um, mm -hmm. It is, it's a... It's a job that has evol that evolves very rapidly. Um, mm -hmm. It's not the same from year to year. The market's not the same. The expectations are not the same. The technology's not the same. You are constantly mm -hmm. having to re-evolve and solve new problems. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as an artist or an engineer, you know, everybody think about like the evolution of game art from mm -hmm. simple bitmaps and stuff people had to code in in hex to, you know. Uh, using deluxe paint on, you know, Amigas to the evolution to Photoshop to first 3D where things are like 100 triangles with, you know, like, like a 64 by 64 texture slapped on them to what we have now where you've got to have um, ZBrush and sculpt high polys and then you project them onto a slightly lower poly but still insanely high poly mesh and they're using physically based rendering where you're packing all the information about lighting and surface properties into a mm. texture. Everything you have to do is evolved as an artist. And the same thing happens on the engineering side mm. from all the different APIs, the different platforms. It's always different, which mm. is exciting, but also ultimately exhausting because mm. everything that you build eventually erodes and you have to build something new mm. all the time. Um, mm. And uh, we were talking about this earlier about like choice and, um, and uh, the quality of all of the things available. As a mm -hmm. game developer years ago, uh, there would be a big game release and it would last for months. Yeah. Kind of the way the movies used to be too. You know, like you have a yeah. big summer tent pole and it would stay in theaters for like a year. You could go to watch yeah. Indiana Jones for like a year. But now they come thick and fast. We've kind of like perfected the formula and we have the technology and resources available to build really good things mm -hmm. all the time. Mm. So really good things don't stand out the way that they used to stand out. And that's not mm. an indictment of anybody's work. It's just, that's just the way it is. Mm. So now your chance to matter as a game is incredibly small. Like a game mm. releases this week and it could be the biggest game in the world, but next week, another game has come out and we're already mm. forgetting about that one. Mm. Your, your chance to matter is very, very small. So you spend years and millions of dollars and a lot of blood and sweat to make a game. And hmm. it's gone almost immediately. When you're young, this is a lot easier to deal with. Um, and because you're still high on that kind of like energy of learning and creation. But once you've been through that cycle a few times, it gets harder hmm. to do. Hmm. It gets more exhausting. And the act of releasing is not like a, it's not like a creative reward. When you release a game, it's actually the worst moment. Hmm. It's the worst time. The best time is the beginning of making a game. The first few months, six months, whatever, when you're pulling this thing out of the mud and you're making something new and it's exciting and different every day. Mm. The worst moment is when you release it 
because you don't release it and walk away and dust your hands off and like, oh, thank, gosh, thank goodness we're done. We'll just see whether people liked it or not. That's not the experience you have as a game developer. You release it and you release it on an incredible array of platforms and technology. And invariably, it will not work right mm -hmm. or will not work the way that some people expect on some of those because there's simply too many variables. It doesn't matter how mm -hmm. big your QA department is. There's mm -hmm. no release for PC, for instance, that you can point to that is technically flawless. Nobody mm -hmm. ever does it. Doesn't matter how many jillions of dollars they put into it. There is never a technically flawless release. So you release it and somebody hates it <laughs> or it doesn't work for somebody or it's not the game they wanted. And mm -hmm. unlike almost every other creative artifact, games can be changed. If you mm -hmm. release a book or a movie and somebody doesn't like it, they don't petition you to change it. You don't patch it and address people's concerns. It just mm -hmm. is what it is and you take it or leave it and you move on with a few very rare exceptions. A game, though, is alive and people expect it to be alive and they have the understanding that it can be changed and that their concerns or their likes or dislikes can be addressed. Mm -hmm. So immediately what you're doing is shipping again. You ship the game. You're at your lowest. You're most exhausted. You have ground yourself down to try and get this out the door before you're out of money and everybody has to be fired. And then immediately you ship again. Because now what you do is you address the concerns because the expectation is that you will. Mm -hmm. um, because it's not, even if they're not technical, and I'm not just talking about technical concerns, there's bug fixing like, oh, it doesn't work on this weird video card combination. And if you have mm -hmm. this kind of audio set up that something weird happens, those are bug fixes that happens. But it's more like the, the people expect the game to be extended, to be mm -hmm. reactive to their needs. Like, I wish this had a better ending. I wish there was more time spent on this. I wish there was more content here. I wish mm -hmm. that there were more ships to fly. I wish there were more classes. I wish there were more skills. I wish mm -hmm. that these skills were all rebalanced. It's a, it's redevelopment. Mm -hmm. So shipping sucks. And I think if you talk to any game developer who isn't like bright eyed and bushy tailed, who has only been through the ringer once, um, they will all tell you the same thing. Shipping sucks. Mm. And your the relationship with game players, I think, has largely become pretty toxic over time. Mm. Um, there has been a shift over time from kind of enthusiast sort of engagement where everybody's sort of on the same team. We're all just sort of amazed that games work at all yeah. because it just seems like such a miracle that you can make something that is okay <laughs> and enjoyable. And it moves, and, yeah. um, but it's moved to a much more consumer um, angle because so many more people play. Everybody plays games now. Used to, it was mm -hmm. just like a core of people who were interested in that and were willing to jump through the technical hurdles to experience it. So they had a, there was a certain like being in the trenches together vibe. That's mm -hmm. long gone. And now it's a, it's, a, it's a consumer product. Everybody plays them and everybody has an opinion. And mm -hmm. how they get made behind the scenes is a total mystery. Mm -hmm. Um. And we as developers have, I'm really going on a, I'm really going on a, on a tear on this, aren't I? I, um, I love it. In we as developers have done a disservice to ourselves and game players by mm -hmm. normalizing um, toxicity. The customer's always right, right? Mm -hmm. Well, except when they're being cruel mm -hmm. or when they're doxing you or when they're, mm -hmm. you know, review bombing you. That's not. That's not actually a legitimate customer interaction. Yeah, I mean, you can express yourself however you want, but that's mm -hmm. not. If you want a healthy relationship between the people who are creating mm -hmm. something for you and the people who are consuming it, that's not the way to produce it. Um, and so I, mm -hmm. I'm I will never go back to making games.
games were good to me and I had a lot of good times making them mm. and I am grateful for the time I got to do it and I'm grateful mm. I got to make the things I had to make but I have when I quit making games I thought maybe I would think about going back but there hasn't been a nanosecond where I wanted mm. to go back not one mm. what makes me a bit sad about this is not that you quit making games right it's your life and I really appreciate your choice because now I have just all these audiobooks I can enjoy but what makes me a bit sad about it is that um at least in my head um there's this note when you're talking about this that you really wanted to go on, but all these things that you couldn't control kind of like drove you out of this like calling that you really enjoyed. Well, it's just, um, I think it's just about the quality of your life and how you want to live it. You know, it mm -hmm. was, it was just not a way that I wanted to experience life. And I think that I definitely made mistakes in exposing myself to it. Right. I used to joke that we should just be daft punk. We should just put on helmets and have voice changers and nobody would know who we are. We'd be developer X and developer mm -hmm. Y. And mm -hmm. that would provide some insulation between you and the people that you're making games for, mm -hmm. because there's an expectation of openness at this point that you'll communicate freely and they'll mm -hmm. communicate freely, but it provides no buffer. There's just no, mm -hmm. and it's ultimately, it's too caustic and mm -hmm. it, it just, it just makes life hard to live. Um, I, but that's not the only reason that I don't make games. And I don't want to mm -hmm. pretend that I'm just like, I just stomped off in a huff because that really wasn't it. Mm -hmm. Um, I could have made more games. I could have done that again. Um, but I had the opportunity to live a different kind of life and that seemed really attractive. It's like, yeah. I can do something else creatively. I don't have to just do one thing for my whole life. And that's mm -hmm. attractive. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just a reactive, like, oh, I got to get out of this. What can I do that will get me out of this? It was more like, mm -hmm. this is something else that I could do that I would, I legitimately love and enjoy mm -hmm. and I actually can do it. So why not? Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I definitely didn't want this to feel like sour grapes. I games, I got a lot of good things out of games and I had lots of good experiences with people who played games and I mm. got nice notes from people and I had, I had positive experiences, but it is a really hard industry industry. And you'll notice that there are very few old people in games. Yeah. Yeah. They just, because of the nature of the industry, it's taxing mm. and it's hard and there's a repetition to going through that cycle that tends to, it, it's it's hard to sustain yourself through that for a long period of time mm. and to want to go back to that, especially if you want anything else out of your life. When you're younger, you've got infinite time, right? That's the way it seems. So this could be your whole life and that's okay mm. because you could do other stuff later. As you mm. get older, well, how much later is there? <laughs> and how do I want to experience it? And you start to understand what's important to you on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, I don't know, you evolve as a person, what you want changes. Can I interest you in a painting of yourself that you can hang in the attic? <laughs> oh, Dorian. So I would love to actually go off on this like huge tangent into like how society is forming, how we interact with each other, because like I love that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But we should probably um, go back yeah. to the, the lit RPG part. The actual lit RPG stuff, which we haven't yeah. talked about at all. Oh, man. <laughs> People who listen to this podcast know it's the Quit RPG podcast, the podcast where I talk about agile coaching and um, complex adaptive systems and everything else that the that the person I'm interviewing uh, would love to talk about. Because I think that's more interesting, ideally, than me rattling off some questions and you saying yes and no, and then a podcast is over. Um, yeah, I so like I really going appreciate off I like going off road. I mean, I think that's usually the best kind of conversations to get into. Yeah. Talking about stuff that you wouldn't normally talk about because we can repeat talking points about lit RPGs, but who cares? Yeah. Everybody's hold, heard those. Or did they? 
or um, did they? So just making sure that everyone's on the same page here. Um, how did you get a chance to then start, you know, narrating books? I did it on the side for years. Mm -hmm. um, I had some of the equipment that I put together so that I could do voice recording for games without having to go rent studio space. Mm -hmm. Not a lot, but enough. Mm -hmm. And I stumbled across ACX.com, which is a service that Amazon Audible runs for facilitating mm -hmm. indie audiobook production and getting them published on Audible, which is what just about every lit RPG author that you're aware of goes through, ex mm -hmm. excepting those that go through like Podium or something. Mm -hmm. Almost all of those books are published through ACX. Anyway, I started doing it on the side for fun. I liked reading to my wife and kids and they didn't need it anymore. And I like audiobooks. And I started doing it for fun and I really enjoyed it. And I was pretty good at it. And people kept asking me to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and initially I didn't have any, I didn't do lit RPG. I was like, I'll be honest, as a game developer, it felt like people who, if, it felt like being like, a, like an aircraft engineer <laughs> and then somebody who rode on a plane one time wrote a book about building planes. <laughs> and it was like, I'm not going to like this. Um, I'm going to be too caught up in how different their understanding of game development and game design is from my, frankly, pretty informed one. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't think I'd be able to deal with it. Ultimately, I got over that because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's just, do you care about these characters? Are they doing yeah. something you care about? It's just, it's, it's just the magic system, really, is what mm -hmm. it amounts to. The, the trappings of lit RPG are just the magic system. You know, suspend your disbelief. Exactly. So I, I, you know, but that was my initial thought. I was like, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I want to get into that. Um, so my inroads into lit RPG were not directly through lit RPG. It was through progression fantasy. It was through, because mm -hmm. I think Cradle was the first mm -hmm. one that I did. Mm -hmm. um, uh, did Unsold. And because they're so proximate and there's so much crossover, mm. um, I, I, story, I ended up osmosing over into mm. game lit. Um, and I still do things on both sides, but mm. that's how I ended up in that specific zone. Yeah, I think I got to be careful to not, um, you know, use lit RPG and progression fantasy exchangeably because people will stone me. Um, yeah, they're not the same. They, you could have lit RPG that's progression fantasy and you can have progression fantasy that's lit RPG. But if you really want to keep them separate, you know, you can. Yeah. I, honestly, yeah, I don't care. I only care about stories in the end. Of exactly. The day. <laughs> that's um, my point. And if you make me read too many stats. Yes. Um, stats. Yeah. Um, Anyway, no, you mentioned earlier, right, that you were a bit hesitant about going into Lit RPG because of your experiences as a game developer. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that came to mind was um, the, Ripple, the Ripple System by Kyle Kieran. Uh, Which where... is, I think, one of the most, it's one of the ones that I have the least, it never, it never draws me up short in the Ripple System saying, oh, mm -hmm. boy, you really think you know something about game design that you don't. It really mm -hmm. evokes a very specific MMO mm -hmm. and a very, and it, and it totally has its, its, um, pie in the sky stuff. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the actual ripples themselves are, mm -hmm. would be an incredibly difficult thing to do How? as yeah. an engineer. Um, and obviously being in there all the time has its own issues. Everybody always wants to know how Ned poops, but, <laughs> um, it feels authentic. Mm. Exactly. And I feel as though. Again, it's not really about the game. The game is just there as a vehicle for us to experience 
those cool parts of your love about MMORPGs. Mm -hmm. I think it's nostalgia. I think in a lot of ways, it's nostalgia. It's nostalgia for good experiences Mm -hmm. you had playing an Mm -hmm. MMO paired with really good characters. So the characters sustain the story and make it function. All you got to do is have House and Frank in a room together, and I can read that for days. But when you pair that that with the nostalgia, you get the very specific mix that Mm -hmm. I think makes those books work. Yes. I am... At first, I really didn't get Frank. The first two, uh, like two hours, I was like, like Ned's not really that nice, and this Frank guy, like, what's this like a New York like accent? Like, what what's up? And then, um, then at some point, they did their first thing together, and I was like, oh, now now it's clicking. Now it's getting good. And get I haven't yeah. stopped listening since. Yep, that's really good. For the record, uh, Frank in my head is Danny DeVito. Yeah. Okay, I can I can see that. I can definitely um, see that. Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Danny DeVito, mm-hmm. where he's just... Somehow you like him even though he's an amoral ass. <laughs> Danny DeVito can make that character likable somehow. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, Frank. <laughs> Frank sounds pretty, 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 damn, pretty damn good. <sighs> um, my first time li- listening to you, actually, was... Um, in the Farmer books by Benjamin Caray. Mm-hmm. Which, Which would have been actually... weird because you would have heard my old Texas accent. Do you have a new Texas accent? Well, I, I grew up in Texas, so I used oh. to have an accent. Oh, nice. So that is my old accent. Oh. I just, I like it. I I'm like an authentic Texan, so. <laughs> um, I'll tell I lost it, I think, in, uh, I want to say I lost it in like the fifth grade. I still utter Texas Texanisms from time to time. I still say fixin' too. Um, but uh, I lost the accent, yeah, when I was mm. in middle school or something. Oh, cool. Uh, did you ever find it again? I mean, when I'm near family that still oh. has it, you know, I'll mm. start to I'll start to pick it back up a little bit. Never too much, but a, a little bit. It used to pick it up more. Mm. Like I'm with the osmosis. Um, mm-hmm. Probably. Okay, so we've been talking about audiobooks for a second now, right? So my next question actually goes back to your writing stuff. And that is, what's the best advice you've ever gotten as an author? Um, I didn't ask for a lot of advice, I guess. But I'll tell you what, uh, what feels like the best advice to me after mm-hmm. what I stumbled around and figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big things is that a simple idea can have merit. When you're writing, it doesn't have to be everything. It doesn't have to be the biggest, best, most complicated, most plot-driven thing that a basic idea is enough. It's ultimately about people changing, characters and change. Mm. So you don't have to... Legends and Lies is a stupid idea. It's an orc open... It's a dumb, small idea, right? If you tell it to somebody, they think it's a joke without the context of the book that results. Um, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter because it's just, you can take a simple idea and you can do, you can do something of value with it. Mm -hmm. Um, what's another good piece of advice. Another good piece of advice I would say is to, uh, if you've been doing something to write and it hasn't been working, stop doing that. Pick Mm -hmm. another thing, find the things Mm -hmm. that keep you from writing and change them. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, don't do the same thing over and over expecting that it's going to magically fix itself. So I thought I was a discovery writer for most of my life. I really wanted to just write the book and clean up the mess later. And I figured Mm -hmm. I could do that. I can't. I finally came to terms with the fact that I have to 
tell the story to myself in short first and basically outline yeah. it in order to be able to write it. But I didn't want to believe that. And I didn't want that to be true. So mm. I resisted it for a really long time. And if you have been resisting something that isn't working for you, maybe stop. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But what, what if you had tried like five more times? Um, nah. The... Um... Actually, how did you know? Because people always say like, oh yeah, if nothing's working, just stop. But if you're so deep into that stuff, it's hard to know how to, like, how do you, how did you notice that it's such a change? Um, I eventually just came to terms with the fact that I needed to try something different because I mm -hmm. knew that it had not been working. And you, mm -hmm. usually you're aware of another option. Mm -hmm. You know, like I try and work in a coffee shop every day and I just can't get anything done because there's always this noise going on. But you go to mm -hmm. a coffee shop every day because you're attached to the idea mm -hmm. of it. It sounds great to be able to go just right in a coffee shop. But if it's not working yeah. for you, maybe you have to go write in a box, which is what I have to do. I have to come in here to write. It's not a really glamorous idea. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like interested in the idea. It's not what I want to be true. Mm -hmm. But you can you can know that. You know, apparently I don't work very well with distractions, so I'm going to do mm. the thing I don't want to mm. do and work without distractions. Mm. And you go make that happen for yourself. So you just, I think it's more about identifying the difference between what you want and what works. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, I'm also the kind of person, by the way, who would love to write at home. I have two huge monitors with lots of games. I will just leave the statement unfinished. Just calling to you. Yeah. You know, like, hey, I can I can log into Punishing Grey Raven for 10 minutes. I have that self-control. I said 50 hours ago. Um, <laughs> so now I'm going back to this to this point because I have a follow-up question. Um, what happened with your not plotting that then made you realize I have to actually plot before I do this? Um, I got lost in the middle every time. I mm -hmm. trusted myself that I would figure things out. Mm. Um, and it never turned out to be the case. Um, mm. and in a, in a smaller way, let's say I'm writing a chapter and I know mm. roughly what needs to happen in the chapter. These things mm. need to happen if I put them in a list mm -hmm. and I'd write halfway through the chapter and then there'd be some logical break. Like, well, the person that needed to be here isn't here. They're over there. Mm. Or how do I get from point A to point B? I know mm. point A and point B had to happen in this chapter, mm. but this important connective tissue between them, I didn't figure out ahead of time. But mm -hmm. I've already written 800 words and I mm -hmm. desperately hate redoing things. I hate mm -hmm. it. I don't want to do it. It's a huge yeah. point of friction for me. So I would, I would just sit there trying to figure out a way to fix that. That didn't mm -hmm. involve redoing the work I'd already done. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I'd tap out because I desperately didn't want to do it. Oh. So, mm -hmm. um, for me, the, the solution to that was telling myself all of that in short and summarizing mm -hmm. the chapter, not really outlining. It's more like what I have to do is write it in plain English. Like I'm telling somebody else the story mm. and so that it will make sense to the person that I'm telling it to. Mm -hmm. I can't just say, you know, Bob gets a hammer and they go to town. That's not, that's not a summary of the chapter. Those are just two mm. things that had to happen in the chapter. I have mm. to say it in a succinct narrative way because mm -hmm. that makes me solve these problems before I have to put them down on paper. So mm -hmm. I don't reach that point where I have 800 words that I don't want to rewrite. Mm -hmm. So that, I don't know if so. I don't know if there's an event that made me mm. realize that it was just the ultimate acceptance mm. that it was something that I needed to do if I ever wanted to make mm. this work. Yeah, um, I was in the same boat as you. I think I had a series that I tried 
writing for three NaNoWriMo's. Every single time I started from scratch. Um, same book, completely different. You know, other POV, um, other main character, other uh, tone. But um, in the end, I dropped everything. And that was in 2018 or something. And I didn't write for five years. When I then started writing uh, Torchbearer, I went back on this idea of like, I don't need to plan this. So it worked really well for a while because I knew where I was going with this. But then I had a chapter in the middle where I went off of this very, very rough plan that I wrote for myself. You know, Sam goes to town, meets this person, he teaches stuff, then they, then they escape. And then I wrote 35,000 words of stuff that I now have to somehow cut or summarize. And then it really hurts. I bet it does. I hate doing that kind of thing. But you have learned from your mistakes. We've talked about this. There's another kind of realization I had that is that every time I put the idea in front of the the character mm -hmm. and the, the heart of the story, that's when mm -hmm. I fail. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have this big idea. I just, this idea seems so clever. Ideas stop mm -hmm. seeming clever really fast. You're like, this is such a cool idea for a story. And then you start telling, you're like, this isn't cool. <laughs> this is the thing that happens to me whenever I do something that's like idea based, mm -hmm. because if it has to hang on the strength of the idea, I doubt it very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but if I have something that's based on a character, I don't doubt my characters the same way. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for me, what I end up having to do to make a story work, to put an engine in it that isn't just events because events mm -hmm. I get really bored with. They're just like mm -hmm. CGI explosions after a while. I need a character to change. I need to care about why this character is changing mm -hmm. and how they feel and why are they going to be different at the end. And I have to relate to that in some way. Yeah. So for me mm -hmm. to find that heart and engine for a story, I end up going and looking back at my life and I'm like, oh, here's a time where I had, I was really conflicted about something. I agonized mm -hmm. over it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know which way I was going to go. And ultimately I chose one, but I've always thought about the other way things could have gone. Yeah. And maybe I want to write about how things went for that character if they made the same choice. Maybe I want to write about them making a different choice because I've certainly thought about it, mm -hmm. but that it's like a shortcut to finding something that's going to be relatable to somebody else because mm -hmm. there's very few experiences that we have in life that somebody else hasn't had that mm -hmm. are emotional experiences. So, I mean, what's Legend of the Lattes? It's a book about somebody in their 40s who's done a job their whole life, doesn't want to do it anymore, switches careers and moves to another town and mm -hmm. then discovers this community that ends up being really important to them. Mm. I did a job into my 40s. I decided I didn't like it anymore. I moved to a new town. I started narrating audiobooks and I discovered this community of book people. That's not, it's the same thing. It's big coincidence, not to say, yeah. Big coincidence, yeah. And, but it's also, a, those experiences are relatable. Like doing yeah. something for a long time and then being like, is this, do I even want to do this anymore? Can I do anything else? I've sunk all this time into mm. being this kind of person. What's left? Mm. Um, and is there anything else? And so not only is that relatable, but then the result is like either encouraging or aspirational or interesting to think about. You know, in this case, it worked out for her. Maybe it doesn't work mm. out for everybody, but mm. you've got a core experience that people understand, at least if they're of a certain age. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, a follow through on that and a change of character. So I can be on board with that. I know, I know, I know who that character is. I care about that character. I want to see how they end up.
Mm. And the other trappings of it, the magic system, the okay, the whatever else, those could all be interchangeable. You could set that story anywhere. Mm. So definitely. Um, and I know you're, you're not saying like this is the only way of doing this, but I no. very much subscribe to that idea it's, too. It's, mm. Ultimately, you find out what works for you. And that's not like all mm. stories are the same. There are stories mm. that are not about a character. I mean, you can have, it's like a Twilight Zone story is a very different mm. kind of story. A Twilight Zone story is a story of ideas and you may care about the character, but often it's about the twist. It's about mm. this change of perspective at the end. So it's not like there's just one kind of story. Depends on what mm. you want to do. Um, but for me, that's what I have found that I need to make it mm. work. Shorts, I yep. think, are easier. If you're writing a short story, it's a lot. It's just a different, it's a different approach. Have because you, you don't have any? to. Sus I have written a lot of short stories. I never mm. published any of them. Um, but I like short stories. Because they are, they are more idea based and you don't have as much time to wear them out. Mm. Like you can, you can have this idea, you can land it and you can be like, yeah, I'm done. And there's not a lot of time to second guess it or to get exhausted of, of your idea. Yeah. I, I love short stories. Uh, the issue is just when I, when I start writing them, it's like, I'm going to write a seven page short story and then two words. And I'm like, I'm going to write a 16 se a book novel series. And, uh, <laughs> like every time, um, because I want to explore these characters more that I put it in there, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to see how they're doing, what what's up with them. And um, I find that creating these characters is sometimes a mix of idea happenstance and personal experience. Mm -hmm. But that's the point, right? Exploring who this character is, like who makes this other choice, like who is that? And I think that could be really cool. And in the end, it always ends up with the character. It always does, I think at least. Which is yep. interesting because Lit RPG claims to have very, very static characters sometimes. Um, I think this depends on a lot of things. I mm -hmm. think that depends because um, one thing that happens when you talk about Lit RPG is you're also mm -hmm. talking about serials. Mm -hmm. They're not all not all Lit RPGs are serials, mm -hmm. and not all serials are Lit RPGs. Mm -hmm. But there is a substantial substantial portion of the lit mm. rpg landscape that is serials and it's a different mm. kind of storytelling mm -hmm. yeah. um and then uh, regardless of which one you're doing there's also a certain amount of audience insert expectation mm -hmm. i don't I think that's that. uh you don't so one thing that i observe mm -hmm. when i see okay. people review lit mm -hmm. rpgs is, is that mm -hmm. they're very upset if the character wouldn't do what they would do is this that, happens okay. all the time is that that I see it happen all the time. It's, mm. it's, um, with most stories, it's like you read, if you read most fiction, it's not about you. It's mm. about a very specific character in a very specific situation. You have mm. anti-heroes, you have, you, you have people going through a failing marriage. You have, it mm. doesn't matter. You're reading about somebody else. And of course, they're not going to do what you would do. Mm. <laughs> you, yeah. You're not, you know, mm. unless they're, they're not going to do what you were going to do. And you don't have the expectation that they would. Mm. You know, like, oh, with well, this person, some of that gets down to your experience playing games, I think, in that RPG. It's mm. about like the choices that you make. People feel very strongly about what is an mm. optimal build, what is the right mm. way to play, what is the, oh. that there's a correct way, that there is an optimal path. Mm. And I think that's intrinsic to a lot of game playing. What's the optimal path? Mm. And I think a lot of that carries over to the experience of reading lit RPG. What's the optimal mm. path? And how come this character isn't taking the optimal path? That's what I would have done. Mm. They must be an idiot. 
Um, character books are about change, right? They're about somebody who may be flawed and becomes less flawed, or maybe they start out on, you know, with relatively few flaws and then they make a horrible choice and become something worse. It's mm-hmm. just about change. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not about an upgrade. All books, stories at their core are not about an upgrade. They're not about somebody who's shitty, who becomes great at the end. That's not, mm-hmm. the change does not have to be good. Mm-hmm. The change does not have to be terrible to good. It doesn't have to be from good to better. It doesn't have to be in a positive trajectory. It just has to be change. Why did this person become the person they became? Mm-hmm. You try writing that liturgy, I dare you. Exactly. Well, that's my point. Is I that know. Mm-hmm. has this expectation of a kind mm-hmm. of trajectory, mm-hmm. which is not compatible with a lot of certain kinds of story types. Yeah. And my feeling about why that trajectory is desired is because there's a strong reader association with the main character. To me, this is also reflected in the kinds of main characters that there are, which are, by and large, mostly white, 20-something-year-old dudes who have the personality of a bagel and almost because they can't have too much personality. Yeah. They can't not be you. They can't mm-hmm. dissociate you from them. So all of the personality comes from the side characters. You have your snarky sidekick. Mm-hmm. You have your, let's face it, female love interest who cheerleads a lot. You have, there's this constellation of other characters that are almost expected because they reflect personality on the main mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty unique to lit RPG. I'm not saying that people don't write lit RPG that has a very specific or strong name main character. Mm. But when you talk about lit RPG, how often do you talk about the main character and how specifically cool they are? He who fights with the monsters. Everyone has a very specific perspective. I know. I know. And also like, interestingly, one of the stories that doesn't have like the funny sidekick companion and also the first female character they meet, um, uh, other Travis, I shall call him shirt, like everyone else yeah. joked about this. Um, and he always asked like, okay, so when are they gonna, you know, when are they gonna hook up? Yeah. And Farah just, it's not interested. She's just yep. more interested in like, I think, I think that makes it the exception that proves the rule. Exactly. 100%. So, so I'm not, yeah. again, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that all books are that way. They certainly aren't. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be reductive, but it is mm-hmm. a common component in the genre that is more represented mm-hmm. than in most other genres. Um, and I think that there is a large expectation of a certain kind of experience mm. where you want to see somebody who uh, has some challenges, but isn't too dislikable at the beginning yeah. and um, ultimately gets a lot more awesome and mm. everybody else appreciates it. Mm. And uh, they achieve great success because of this. Um, mm. And that that's, I feel like that's a common desire in the genre and it gets subverted in all kinds of ways. And it's not like you can't tell a really great story with that, but it's mm-hmm. exactly. It's a, it's a common desire in life who mm-hmm. doesn't want to have, you know, cool, funny friends, be admired, get strong and, you know, safe. There's right? nothing wrong with escapism. Absolutely. Not. Escapism. Um, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if there was something yeah, wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with escapism. Yeah. Um, it's it's just uh, I think that there is that that component. We're we're kind of getting off from the original thing, which is that I think there's just this component of of reader insert. I got a follow up question to that though. That's assuming um, we have that, right? We have that. You know, the male insert and um, mm-hmm. everything we talked about um, in the last ten minutes. What do we do as authors if we want to break out of that? 
Um, I think that's, I think it's a huge challenge um, mm. for a lot of authors because a lot of authors are always trying to, I want to try a female MC now. <laughs> Minus and this is, this is a common thing that happens is people like, oh, yeah. I want to try a female MC and then they get a lot of complaints. And the, uh, I, I don't know what the solution to that is. I don't know mm. if it's just audience evolution over time. I don't know if people will just get tired of reading the mm. same kinds of perspectives over and over and become hungrier mm. and hungrier for different ones. I don't know mm. if it's just growth of the audience and including more perspectives and mm. needs into it. Um, it's, it's hard, I think, because games are about you. Stories are not about you. They might be about how you relate to the characters in the story, but ultimately they're not about you. You aren't the main character. Mm. Games are about you. Everything in the world is designed to make you feel good. Mm. Ultimately. Mm. That's what games are. How can I make you feel this dopamine? And it's very, very mm. personal and about your experience, which is why storytelling in, in games is really, really hard. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. because oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's just about you. <laughs> Nobody else matters, um, and and uh, and it's got to be reactive to your choice in a way mm -hmm. that still ultimately ends up having some sort of narrative uh, narrative thread. Um, and I, I think that expectation transfers over to lit RPG because it's mm -hmm. this blending of games and stories, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I just think that's hard. The same thing happens if you have a female MC in a game. People have to trick you. Yeah. That, you know, Samus has to take her helmet off at the end of the game <laughs> for you to be on board. If they had oh. started off with her at the beginning of Metroid, would it have yeah. been as popular a game? I don't know. Do I honestly remember? don't know. Do you have to, do you have to like have a Trojan horse to get these characters in? Yeah. Um, I People will bring up like Lara Croft or something, but she was clearly a male gaze thing absolutely like character that you just looked at from behind for the entire mm. game and that was for you can talk about her being a strong character and everything but still she was clearly designed for the male gaze mm. she wasn't designed for female gamers to feel empowered or something no um, absolutely not no mm. so, the same thing exists in games mm. and i feel like it is it's teleported in and i don't know how to resolve that and they're still struggling with it in games too they are my mind always comes up with all these counter examples because I used to be this like really annoying gremlin that always, you know, that devil's advocate shit. But um, there has been some advancement in there, you know, like Life oh, yeah. is Strange, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the Tomb Raider reboot, I really, very much appreciate it. Um, and yeah. they desexualized her a huge amount. Absolutely. And it, it became, and it became a lot more narratively coherent. And mm. um, so, that, I mean, these things happen, but I think mm. a large part of those things happening is because the audience of games now includes so many more people that those people mm. are now developers. Yeah. People with those perspectives are there and there is a sufficient critical mass that mm. those things can be financially successful enough to sustain mm. themselves. And I don't know if Lit RPG has hit that critical mass yet of mm. larger audience. Mm. It's like I if you go back and look at games in the 80s, Mm. <laughs> when yeah. the audience was very very different mm. and then you yeah. look at it now it's a very different audience so i that's why i say i, I don't know if it's just a, a, an element of time and increasing the size of the audience so that those stories can be sustained and people won't step away from making them afraid that they won't be able to financially succeed now i want to write a story about someone coming up with a video monitor in like this late 60s early 70s when you know computers were a woman thing 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. data entry was a woman thing. Oh, that yeah. would have been, oh, would have changed mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. Interesting. I mean, and I'm, for my part, I, whenever I write now, all characters are female by default and I only switch them to male if I have to. Yeah. This is my approach because mm. just, I think overall, it's just going to be a bunch of people making the decision to mm. show other perspectives and mm. normalize them. And you just mm. continue building, building that platform, I guess. Mm. I, I'm not writing lit RPG, obviously, so maybe that helps. I'm writing cozy fantasy. I'm writing cozy fantasy. Which is awesome. No, it really is. I went in and I wrote a female main character lit RPG about a 40, 40 something um, burnt out um, IT manager who got isekai'd, built her own mm-hmm. empire, did the whole isekai hero thing, and then lost everything and now is going through the five stages of grief. Um, surprisingly, good reaction to it surprisingly and what i found very interesting now that you mentioned it i never got any complaint that oh why is the main character female because she's struggling a lot with a lot of emotional trauma and all kind of stuff so maybe that's why um i think i I don't it's hard Hmm. i'm always really hesitant to speculate too much on stuff like because you don't want to speculate on people's intent for things Hmm. because you don't know um i think a lot of times when guys write female characters Mm. they feel like they also at the same time have to write about some specifically female experience Mm. that they haven't lived and Mm. don't understand instead of just writing them like people Mm. Mm. um either they do that or they still are writing them as though they are writing about these characters from the perspective of a guy not from the Mm. perspective of a woman so like even the, like the narrator even is from the perspective of a guy observing a woman in a story mm-hmm. and so there's that aspect of somehow their boobs get described you know why yeah. why did that happen you know uh or they they assume an emotional response or where an emotional spo- response comes from on behalf of that character from a perspective that isn't necessarily sympathetic to that character it's very difficult to articulate that because it's often very, very mm-hmm. subtle, but people notice it. People pick up on that difference in tone. Um, and one way I think to combat that is to write them like they're just a guy and then just switch the gender. Yeah. And if you wrote it, I think that if you find that if you had written it differently, if you had known the gender from the outset, that mm-hmm. you can start to pick apart. Mm. What what yeah. am I assuming? That oh, is coloring totally. this perspective. No, for for me the for me I mean I definitely did, didn't use the gender from the start. I only write female main character. I write nothing else. Um, but for me the it's always been a bit baffling why why people describe the boobs that boob boobily when people walk down <laughs> this like like it's it's interesting because maybe it's because there's some, some sort of like almost you know like reverence towards towards women but in the end they are people they're people i mean i think about robert jordan mm-hmm. and people are forever crossing their arms below their breasts well where else were they going to cross them behind on their, on their crotch like this where else were they going to pro- so why did you mention that every time it's weird mm-hmm. it's like a nervous tick all oh, right ah, i i see where you're coming I, from man. i don't know how many times the phrase crossed your arms below your breasts appeared in the wheel of time but it was a lot <laughs> it's it's like the it's like the sanderson eyebrow 
in the first uh, four, five, six books that you wrote, was like everyone's always raising eyebrows. Like, man, it's a very common. Yeah, it's got a it's like stage direction of the eyebrow. I've got yeah. mine. I know I've got mine. What's yours? Um, I uh, I like nodding. Everybody's fucking yeah. nodding. Just oh, sorry, I'm I'm swearing. Anyway, people are just nodding all the damn time. I have to remove a lot of nods. You can swear, by the way, our NRCARES European podcast. <laughs> anyway, no. I don't want to feel like I'm indicting, indicting like LitRPG as some like bastion mm. of, of, you know, of backward thinking. I'm really not. It's just, yes. I think it's a, a common thing that is, a, is an issue that sort of has carried over from games that is, people are legitimately mm. trying to address all over the place, but that continues to need to be addressed. And I also don't think, and this is a very important point to me, I don't believe that any of these people are evil or bad. You know, people who leave these comments even. They have a certain need. That need isn't getting met, right? And they choose to react in a certain way to it. Um, that's just neither good or bad. It's just simply how it is. I don't particularly like how they react to this, but that's my problem, right? So they can say whatever they want, um, sticks and stones. But um, I do believe that it is detrimental towards something you mentioned earlier, and that is interesting, more diverse authorship in lit RPG, which is in the end going to give us more lit RPGs that are more interesting with more characters that we can enjoy. Um, So I do believe we have some sort of duty as authors and readers to, um, well, make this place welcoming for people. And that includes monitoring what we say. I think a lot of it is just about being welcoming because I don't think there's there's no reason that all of the stories that currently exist shouldn't have been told. There's no reason that mm-hmm. a white male perspective shouldn't exist. There's no reason mm-hmm. that these things aren't valid and mm-hmm. worthy. And there's no, I mean, it's ultimately a lot of it's just escapism. It's There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. I think it only becomes problematic when people try to, when people feel the need to um, attack that which, that which is different. Yeah. And the existence of a story that is not in a perspective mm. that I'm interested in somehow takes away from what mm. that I am or removes the possibility of more mm. of what I want, because mm. I don't believe it does. There's just this infinite, infinite capacity for more. It's not like we're shoveling other books off the shelf and there's only room for 12 of them. There's, there's infinite room. We have infinite mm. shelf space. So I think it's, it's worthy to welcome as many perspectives as we can possibly get. Yeah. I mean, in the end, the market is already so big that you can't read every book, right? Yeah. So you can be very, very free to skip all the LGBTQ books that you don't like. That's okay. You don't need to read them. And there's, there's no gatekeepers here either. And there's no gatekeepers for publication of this work. You've got Royal Road. You can put anything mm-hmm. you want up on Amazon. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to, nobody's stealing somebody's platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's exactly. no. Because it's not like a traditional publishing model where they're only accepting X numbers of books a year and you're getting crowded out. It's just, it just doesn't yeah. exist. I don't know, Travis. I hear that the U.S. national internet reserves are getting pretty precariously low. It's getting, pre- yeah, you get, it's, it's get starting to fill up. Yeah, they've got to start a few new um, offshore internet platforms to kind of like pump more internet <laughs> into the United States. <laughs> pretty soon hamster dance, hamster dance is going to be deleted. There's not going to be room for it anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I think next thing, I think um, just to free up more internet, they have to delete Neon Cat. Um, it's been it's been there. It's been good for a while, but it's got its time. Oh, and also TikTok. That that's what it's about, right? Congress. Won't somebody think of the spam? Won't somebody think of the spam? <laughs> There's a Nigerian prince out there who's about to lose his ability to reach his audience. 
<laughs> yeah, man. Oh. Okay, let's not cut it down that rabbit road. <laughs> Too late. Um, okay. <laughs> this is a serious podcast. And we're talking about liturgy and books. And I would like to know um, what is one thing that you would go back to and change in your previous work um, if you could. Oh my gosh. And like, and like any previous work? I mean, there's lots of uh, books that I would re-record because I'm a better narrator than I used to be. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had time mm -hmm. to bring them up to a level that I would like. I would love mm -hmm. to re-record the first three books of Cradle if I had infinite time. Mm. Yeah. Some of it from just knowing what kind of story it was, ultimately figuring out what it was, because I don't think you really get an appreciation for what Cradle is until about book three, maybe book yeah. four. People say book you one and then... You just don't see how it's going to interlock. You don't see what it's going mm. for. And now I know mm. what it's going for, and I'm also a better narrator than I was at the time. So mm. I would love to kind of like equalize that, because I think I could provide a a better onboarding. So mm. that was, that's one I would say. I think... For Cradle, the next series should be about silver spoons or cats. <laughs> Boomer joke. All cats. All cats. Yes, all cats. Man, that could be cool. They could be. They could be doing a live action movie about it. It would be awesome. Man, anyway. <laughs> anyway, when are you coming back, Dad? Um. <laughs> so now the uh, the question wasn't really about regret. I think most people inter interpreted like this. It was more about um, one thing that you really learned while writing where you were like, oh man, that makes so much more sense, you know, beyond the um, advice you gave earlier. Hmm. Hmm. <sighs> one thing I would, so one thing I would just do differently that's not hmm. regret-based. <laughs> yeah, you know, basically one thing, well, it can be regret-based, but basically one thing you learn from your mistakes um, gosh, it's really hard. Um, why is that hard? Cause, I mean, obviously I did everything perfect the first time. I don't know why I would change anything. This is not, <laughs> um, well, the, so, Travis, the problem is you're the only person who can say that. So and I people are like, yeah. Mm. Um, oh, damn. I didn't start with the, didn't introduce you as Travis Baldiance, did I? <laughs> I should have. Um, Okay, awesome. okay, I thought of something. Um, so it's definitely got a component of regret, but I, um, so when I built the studio at Runic Games, mm -hmm. the, the way that I built it was to build a game. It was all about assembling a studio to make the thing that we were making. Mm -hmm. um, on reflection, after living the rest of my life, what I should have done was built a studio to make things adaptably that it wouldn't have mattered what you were trying to build. You're trying mm. to build for a different purpose. And making what you're making now is incidental to that. You're trying to build a studio that is designed to be able to address different challenges mm. and to cohere in the face of those different challenges instead of struggling to do things that weren't what they had been assembled to do. Mm. It's just more about like the the perspective on why you assemble a group to do something. This could also really fit well into an agile coaching podcast. So thank you very much for that. Now, because this is the kind of stuff I love, right? Um, I love this. I mean, I'm doing my main job, my, my real life job. So 
I love it so much that I, I'm okay with, you know, not earning much money from writing. Um, just doing writing for, for the side and doing this for uh, mm-hmm. as a hobby. Because I love the idea of, you know, um, creating teams that really rock. Like, that's just amazing. It's hard. And it's very hard. It's very, very easy in the books. Um, it's yeah. very, very hard in real life. Well, and people aren't static. Exactly. People aren't static. The person that is this person at the beginning is not the same person at the end. Mm. What do you do now? Mm. The pieces that you assembled don't fit the way that they did at the outset. Mm. Nobody's fault. People yeah. change. Their needs change. Their wants change. Their interests change. Teams are very fluid. Exactly. And also this moment of um, having to prune, not in like having to fire people. I don't believe in that, but having to, you know, ask people like, hey, you no longer enjoy doing what you're doing. You used to be our main level designer or whatever, but now you really want to do something else. How can we make that work? That is so much work and it never stops. It always happens. It's relentless. Absolutely. And I can totally see how it will grind you down after a while, um, especially if you hate doing things uh, again. Um, so yeah, it's why I stopped teaching. Yeah, that seems to be intrinsic to my character. I don't like doing things again. I already did that. I don't want to do that again. Um, yeah, yeah. I, me too. Uh, that's why I stopped teaching. Uh, because it was the same curriculum every year. Like, no, no, thank you. Starting no, over, no, no. starting over, new, no, new no, no, set. No. Yeah. And it's the same if you're in school and you're listening to this. Go do your homework and stay in school. Um, but it's the same thing every year. Every year we have to win hearts and minds of, of these people. And it's like clockwork. And you're on this huge ass time pressure to both build a connection with these people that you might not even see in like mm-hmm. eight months. Um, and at the same time, um, teaching them something that they don't want to learn. No, thank you. No, thank you so much. That doesn't um, sound great. It doesn't it's, sound great. It's, it's, it's really not. But someone needs to do it. And I re- appreciate all teachers. Oh, yeah. 100% sure. It's a really incredibly challenging job. I, <sighs> yeah. Um, I have. I like passing on information. I like mm-hmm. making information available. I like free information. I want to educate people. But I don't want to do it one by one. So yeah. I tend to make videos or write-ups or whatever mm-hmm. I can. I'm going to consolidate this information in a way that I hope is concise and can convey mm-hmm. this to somebody who wants it. But mm-hmm. the prospect of having to re-deliver it over and over and over is ultimately daunting and draining. So mm-hmm. at least it is for me. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. For me, what I like um, about coaching is that it is sort of dynamic. You can give people, like it is one-on-one teaching. You can give people what they need in the moment that they need it, which yeah. is far more rewarding, even Much if it is rewarding. one-on-one. It helps that they want it. Like, um, there's this, um, I don't know what this guy is called, like, some sort of Frenchman. I think it was French or Canadian. I don't know. Um, and he said that um, if you want to build a boat, you shouldn't tell people to chop wood. You should teach them to love the sea. And I love that. Right, because that's that's the core of anything, and without going too much into it, I have not seen a single school system in the entire world, on an institutional big level, that has come out of the industrial revolution and instead realized that in a world where everything is vying for attention, schools need to be doing that too, instead of just saying like you need to focus on this and good luck. 
how are kids supposed to do this in these days? Like how? Yeah. Their cell phone sets them reminders like, no, don't. And then it's over. Uh, that's my, that's my, um, go teachers. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that most of the skills that I think are, have been most useful to me are like incidental skills that were learned in other activities in school that were mm. the primary focus. And one of the biggest ones is just learning how to learn, learning mm. how to, uh, learning how to absorb information and improve and iterate. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think most schools teach that or understand how to teach that. It's a mm. hard thing to teach, but being able to self-assess, mm. make some sort of qualitative judgment, mm. gather information, make a change, and then observe that outcome. The closest you get is like science class, but that doesn't mm. teach you to do that to yourself. In, um, mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the most hugely useful things that you can get. Mm. And the other is honestly actual communication. Like beyond like writing an essay, but the mm. ability, the ability to communicate an idea mm. in a way that other people receive mm. is really powerful. Um, especially when other people can also do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this is not a thing that we also teach particularly well. Absolutely not. So, and the learning thing, right? You mentioned learning how to learn. Um, they do that in some schools here in Germany, but the issue is that that is a very, very personal skill, a very personal skill. So yeah. if I learn differently than you and you will learn differently from everyone else I know, because it, yes, does, you have to like assemble your own little toolbox. Some people learn best when they're in a quiet booth. Some people learn best while they're in a, in a coffee shop, um, mm -hmm. music, no music. That's just the start. That's the, the environment. And then do you take notes? Do you do video, audio, tactile? Do you, do you chew yeah. gum? It's um, very difficult to do. I think a core of a lot of it, mm -hmm. which is, is, is being able to articulate your value judgment. Mm -hmm. This is the way I feel, or this is what I think right now. This is the, how I'm doing this right now. Mm -hmm. This is what I think I am doing well, and this is what I think I am not doing well. And here's my hypothesis as to why that is. Mm -hmm. being able to communicate that I think is at the core of almost all learning. Mm. And it's about one of the only things I can think that is at least semi-universal because mm. it's about laying out what you think mm. in a way that prompts you to be able to take action. And before we going off too, too far off of tangent, the other thing that I would love to be told, taught in schools is emotional self-regulation. Because yeah. parents don't even know how to do it anymore. That's how we get all the Karens, right? No, I mean, you know, you could be it's going. Really, it's difficult. It's difficult. And, and it, it becomes, it's even more difficult now. Yes. Because there is very little quiet. Yes. There's very little moments of reflection. There's very, very mm -hmm. little enforced boredom, which just gives you air yeah, right. to breathe in order to settle. Mm -hmm. we, we never get a mm -hmm. chance to settle. That's all. what I'm telling you. Yeah, uh, no, not you, but in general, people like people don't know how to get bored anymore. Um, it's it's hard to want to because it's it's an addiction of stimulation. We mm. we we crave stimulation mm. and occupation of our thoughts, mm. but it's not necessarily what we need all the time. And it's very hard to re to force yourself mm. to be bored. Used to, you didn't have to force yourself; it just happened. Yeah, <laughs> but now you have to make time to be bored. I I recently asked a friend like, hey, do you remember do you remember being bored? He's like, holy shit, you you're right. I don't. 
I really don't. And sometimes I'm thinking about these times where, you know, you, you call someone on the telephone with the cord and they're like, Hey, do you want to hang out? And they're not home. And that's it. Yeah. Period. And that happens, doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. It's interesting. Very interesting to me. Sitting in the doctor's office with absolutely nothing to do, but stare at the wall and think your thoughts and maybe come up with an idea yeah. or to process something that you've been dealing with. Like yeah. this has really been upsetting me and I'm going to think about it. And I think my way around the edges of it. We don't yeah. end up with the time to think our way around the edges of a lot of the things that bother us or mm. hurt us or, or just are interesting to us. We don't mm. end up with enough time to think about them. Yeah. This um, is a big challenge for me right now. Well, how do I turn myself off? I just want to, <sighs> I need to turn myself off, but I don't want to really because mm. it's hard and mm. it's scary and sometimes mm. it's fraught. Or it's just boring. Mm. So I don't have an incentive to do it, even though I know it would be positive for me. It's really, I, I don't know, it's a big challenge. Um, at night? You mean? When it's done Anytime. Work? During the day. Mm. Problem is when I go to bed at night, I fall asleep instantly. <laughs> That's Which good. is great. It's a cool superpower. Yes. But it's not really good for self-reflection. So I have to find ways to do that in the day. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Um, for me, it is, I... My mind is so in love with problem solving that um, I keep thinking about work problems or problems with a podcast mm -hmm. or my book. And um, it's always super enticing because it's, it's exciting. But sometimes I literally have to like look at YouTube and go like, stop watching YouTube. Do not think about work. Do think about what you're feeling right now. And why do you feel as though you need to solve a problem to feel self-worth? Like what's going on here? And that's yeah. so annoying. But it is. I wish people were taught how to do this in school because I wasn't. And I suffered a lot, 20 years and longer because I didn't know how to you know, process all this bullshit. Um, yeah, I don't so, think I figured out how to be semi-adult until I was 40. So <laughs> hmm. there's all these skills that I just didn't understand. I, hmm. I even need, I didn't even know they existed or they were important. Hmm. You know, I just had a very young skewed perspective about what mattered mm. and it wasn't until much later that i started to put together tools mm. to address other parts of my life so it um took you until <clears throat> about 20 21 to get all the skills <laughs> big wink also, I must insist that you do not leave me hanging with my high five. High five. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> I was really, really, really upset about that one. Um, tell me about the book you love and why is it awesome? Book I love and why is it awesome? Um, I like the library at Mount Char. Okay. If you have not read the library at Mount Char, it's very difficult to describe. It's horror. It's fantasy. It's funny. It's weird. It's the only fiction book the author has ever written. Mm. Um, it, uh, I literally don't know how to describe it. Um, I like that it's it's just that the the book that you think it's going to be is not the book it is. You read the mm. first chapter and like, what in the hell is this? And then you read the book and it's nothing like what your first impression is, even though in the end it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I think that you're your feeling about what kind of book it is evolves over the course of the book mm -hmm. and is constantly feeling like something else, which I think is really, really interesting and oh, really man. entertaining. A lot of books, you're like, here's what you're going to get. 
and now we're just going to play that out. And maybe there's a a twist, but that's like a logical twist. Like this is a tonal like evolution over the course of the book. Like, is this funny? This is funny. Actually, (laughs) I thought it was just going to be horrifying. No, actually, it's pretty funny. Oh, but this is sad. Uh, You know, and and I'm not obviously all books go through like an emotional journey, but it just Mm. really does feel like a different book, different kind Mm. of book over the course of it. And I really Mm. love that about it. That's awesome. It's a huge gamble, though. Right. For this guy, I think the guy actually wrote like um, all the other stuff he wrote was like programming manuals, like, <laughs> the idiot's guide to Pearl or whatever. And then he wrote this fiction book mm-hmm. and it's great. And then he just hasn't written another one. I believe the working title was The Library at Mount Sandwich. Anyway, well, it has Library layers. at Mount Char. Go read it. <laughs> it has layers. You, um, what you said reminded me of. Um, um, Oh, well, actually, there, uh, there it is. Um, not Harold the Ninth, but uh, the prequel um, that was oh, Gideon, Gideon the Ninth. Yeah, because for me it was like, oh wow, this is like, wait, is this about no? Yeah, I could see Why that has I... had that similar experience. I you start off with the lang- and you're just like, I don't know what this is, and it takes hmm. you a few chapters before your feet touch the ground, and you know. Yeah you know kind of what you're getting into and then it changes again and then now it's and, like a murder mystery and a weird it was someone to say that yeah that, uh, you know suddenly... necropolis and uh, it's it becomes very different things over the course of it and then harrow of course is completely different i need to read that still it's, it's up there um I, I have no time but i'm going to go, but i'm going to go on a vacation on christmas Ooh, vacation and i'm going to, i'm going to read books you're going to do it <laughs> Yeah, uh, you will also be traveling with me. I think um, I haven't listened to the first another fence yet, um, and I would love to get fenced in. Uh, thanks, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, that's the that's the face of a man who's in a lot of pain. <laughs> no, no, no. That's just the face um, of a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, and yours is on there too. So. Um, <laughs> Shoutouts. Shoutouts from me? Yes, please. Um, to just people who are cool? Yes. I mean, ideally, you would shout out at least one cool news story that people might, have, might not have read yet. I like the idea um, of paying it forward, but... Okay, mm-hmm. uh, so um, uh, this is an arc I read recently, which I really liked. It was called uh, The West Passage by Jared mm-hmm. Pekacek, I think. Mm-hmm. I've, I've mispronounced that. I'm super sorry. Um, there's very big Gorman gas vibes, um, mm-hmm. which I loved a lot. I think it comes out next summer. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a, I, um, lit RPG or standard fantasy? No, just fantasy, just fantasy, oh. just weirdo fantasy. Oh man. Um, comes on a lit RPG podcast and shout out fantasy, man. I know, I know. Uh, what's the most recent lit RPG I read? I mean, I'm doing primal hunter eight right now. Um, in fact, as soon as I'm off this podcast, I'm back to reading that. Um, uh, Hi, Zora. what, what am I thinking about? Uh, the last one I read before that wasn't a lit RPG. I, re- I read so much stuff that I have to like, mm-hmm. actually like troll through my memory. And then I had a book tour, so I'm very fractured right now. Yeah, um, I know okay. that, uh, Will White's The Engineer just came out, book two mm-hmm. of, uh, the Captain series, um, mm-hmm. uh, Lost Horizon series. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking forward to getting more Kyle Kieran next year. 
Oh my God. Yeah. Rip next ripple system should be coming. I'm very excited about that. I'm always happy to revisit Frank and house and Ned. We were getting very, very serious all the time. So thank you very much, very much for all the shout outs. Um, yeah, for me, I'm just gonna not shout at anyone today because it doesn't feel like it. No, that's not, that's it's not a shouty day, but you got to preserve your voice, you know, yeah, COVID I'm, recovery. So I'm getting, I'm getting, I got mammal on uh, all sensible mammal. Do you know? Probably not. Mm -mm. Uh, he writes God clads, which is a body horror cyberpunk. So, um, there's few people who have superpowers and they're superpowers because they're wearing the corpses of dead gods. <laughs> and um it's very very cheerful and it starts the, the first line of the book is um the flesh of my brothers was the sweetest thing i've ever tasted so i knew what i was getting into with that one sign was definitely hung on the door <laughs> very much so um mm -hmm. oh yeah you know what i'm gonna do that so a few of my friends have been writing a community story uh it's called every shade of tray and it's about a guy who gets hit by a magical potted plant, magical ficus. And now he has uh, space aphids who live in his brain and make him do things. Um, and it is completely zany. I know there's a casino arc. I know there's a cultivation arc. Just go and give it a read. It's, it's, it's crazy as hell. Sometimes the coherence is missing because, you know, like nine people are writing it, but it is a very, very good book. Um, so, yeah, you should go and give that one a quick read. Other than that, I think this might be about it for the main part of the episode, but I am going to keep you a little bit longer for the bonus material, if that's okay with you. Alrighty. Cool. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, thank you so much, everyone, for being here and uh, listening. And if you enjoy this, there is, well... 30 more episodes for you to enjoy so go on click that link up here somewhere and then um like subscribe to you know, the entire shebang if you want to hear more of travis um either go to audible or buy audiobooks somewhere else or you can subscribe to my patreon and you know get all the bones material um probably more about like an hour longer or something like this i hope you enjoyed this christmas episode thank you so much and i'll see you next time Thank you.